You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. Spectre and Meltdown get more remediations and they may not be as performance killing as feared. F-Secure says if you leave your laptop alone, it could be pwned in 30 seconds. Mobile ICS apps seem to be getting less, not more secure. Google boots more bad stuff from the Play Store. Monero miners afflict unpatched Oracle WebLogic servers. The U.S. Congress considers a Huawei ban. And New Jersey is considering solving one of its biggest problems, droning under the influence. Sprung from cages on Highway 9 or not, don't try that on the turnpike, kids. I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Friday, January 12, 2018. Spectre and Meltdown remain very much in the news. AMD yesterday revised its estimate of how susceptible its chips were to Spectre. The company had at first thought not very, and then maybe a bit more, but only to one of the two Spectre vulnerabilities. But AMD now believes they're severely affected by both of the Spectre vulnerabilities. They've promised to get a patch out as soon as possible. The other players, notably Intel and Microsoft, but many other vendors as well, continue to work on fixing Spectre and Meltdown. The performance penalty the patches will impose is now becoming clearer, as Ars Technica reports. It's troublesome, but it seems less alarming than initially feared. Initial fears estimated the performance loss at around 30%, but it now seems clear that for most workflows, it will be a shade under 10%, which means that most users won't notice much change at all. F-Secure researchers have demonstrated a way to exploit Intel's active management technology that enables them to bypass BIOS and BitLocker passwords. The security company says that it's found that exploitation could let an attacker take control of a device quickly in under 30 seconds. The under 30 seconds is a bit of FUD, maybe, however true it might be. We're reminded of the old movie Gone in 60 Seconds, whose trailer featured the slogan, You can lock your car, but if he wants it, it's gone in 60 seconds. But if it serves as a word to the wise, that's all to the good. And there's a point to it as well. Exploitation requires physical access to the targeted device, and a lot of people tend to poo-poo such exploits as just junk hacks. But under 30 seconds means there's the potential of a real threat here. So if you were to leave a laptop alone for an innocently short period of time, Trip to the lavatory, say, if you take those, or if you perch the laptop on the nearby table while you're grabbing something from a buffet line, or if you leave it unattended in your hotel room where an evil maid could reach it, or if you ask that friendly fellow traveler to watch it for a minute while you step out for a smoke, 
your device could be pwned in 30 seconds. Yes, we know you wouldn't do any of those things, and yes, we know you don't smoke either, but you might ask about such things for a friend. So here's what that friend should know. Intel AMT is built into Intel CPUs so that the system administrators can monitor, update, upgrade, or otherwise maintain personal computers on their network. If you leave your device unattended, someone could press Control-P during boot-up, select the Intel Management Engine BIOS extension for the boot-up routine, and so bypass various logins. Sure, there's a password for that extension, but alas, most organizations leave the factory default in place. That default is the not-so-very-hard-to-guess admin. Once admin is in, admin can have their way with the machine. There are a few things your friend could do. First, configure AMT so it requires an actual password. Second, don't leave the laptop lying around in, say, the Port Authority or on a side table in Hobo Joe's River Creek Crab Shack. And third, if they don't need it, they might just disable AMT on their device. IOActive and Embeddy have identified 147 vulnerabilities in 34 mobile applications that are widely used to interact with industrial control systems. The 34 Android applications tested were randomly selected from the Google Play Store. Here's what the researchers found. Code tampering in 94% of the apps, insecure authorization in 59%, reverse engineering in 53%, insecure data storage in 47%, and in 38% insecure communication. This is all worse than what they found in a comparable study during 2015. There's been an average increase of 1.6 vulnerabilities per app. Google has ejected more malign apps from the Play Store. One, a phony Telegram app, is a spamming tool. The others, some 60 of them, are infected with adult swine malware that serves up indecent graphic ads to, among others, children. Monero miners are being installed in unpatched Oracle WebLogic servers. If you operate one or more of those, please do patch it. The up-to-date versions aren't being exploited. The U.S. Congress is considering legislation that would bar federal contractors from using Huawei equipment. The concern is security, and it looks as if Congress may be leading Huawei down the same path they took Kaspersky. Remember, GDPR, like winter in the Game of Thrones, is coming. The White Walkers, uh, actually we mean the EU officials, say people are good and lucky that Spectre and Meltdown didn't come to light after GDPR came into full effect this coming May. If they had, then some companies would have been facing fines. So remember, winter is coming this May. And finally, to all of our friends and listeners up in the Garden State, take care and beware. New Jersey is considering passing a law against drunk droning. That's right, if you're in, say, Teterboro or South Hackensack with a blood alcohol level of 0.08% or worse, put down that quadcopter and just walk away. So enjoy your Bolero Snort Blackhorn, but enjoy it responsibly. Don't be like that guy in Norway who was drunkenly bothering moose, or the Florida droner who buzzed alligators when he was tipsy. Leave those raccoons, bears, whatever, alone. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. 
It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use. With zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications, so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. And joining me once again is Johannes Ulrich from the Sands Technology Institute and the ISC Stormcast podcast. Johannes, welcome back. Um, you know, uh, we just made our way through the holidays, and uh, so people will have been getting gifts and maybe re-gifting some of those gifts. So you have some security tips when it comes to that. Yeah, one of the issues uh, that uh, we keep uh, seeing popping up around the holidays is computer equipment, USB drives, and in one case, actually, also things like uh, USB picture frames that come pre-installed uh, with some additional uh, goodies. Uh, we sort of call them the certified pre-pwned uh, kind of gifts that you can give to your family. <laughs> what, what, what kinds of things do people have to be careful of, and, and how can you know if something that you've received has something bad on it? Well, probably the safe thing to do is whenever you receive something, even if it's shrink-wrapped in many cases, uh, clear it out, do a factory reset before you connect it uh, to any of your systems, and essentially treat it uh, sort of as a hostile USB drive, just uh, like you wouldn't have a USB drive that you find on a sidewalk. Essentially, these devices and you know cameras and everything that connects to your USB drive, to your to USB connector on your PC, behaves kind of like a USB drive. So you may start uh, inadvertently software that uh, someone has pre-installed. We have seen a number of cases, for example, where in the factory malware was installed uh, because a quality control system uh, was infected. But uh, sometimes what's also happening is that someone tries out a product, uh, probably infects it, and then returns it to the store. And the store sometimes puts it back on the shelf without wiping the system. So it may already have a data that whoever used it last uh, in put on it, and well, that data is not always uh, beneficial to you. And what about um, you know giving devices like this access to your Wi-Fi network? A lot of them request that. Uh, should we uh, segment the network to protect ourselves against them? 
that's of course ideal if you can do that. A lot of people can't necessarily do it, but uh, many of uh, even the home network access points have like a guest network that you can use for that. Right. So connecting a guest network first, uh, and then again you do a factory reset first. That download the latest firmware if there is an update uh, for it, and often there is uh, because these uh, devices have been sitting on the shelf for a while. So um, you know, get it configured, get it set up, uh, become a little bit comfortable with the device. Uh, if you have the capability, uh, by all means, uh, look for traffic going in and out from the device. I had a year or so ago a little weather station that uh, sent my Wi-Fi password back to the manufacturer. <laughs> so uh, you certainly want to be a little bit careful there, depending on how much you want to geek out with this. Yeah. <laughs> but wow. uh, a little bit sort of... You know, the more checking you can do on it, the better. Yeah. All right. Good advice as always. Johannes Ulrich, thanks for joining us. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. My guest today is Phil Reitinger. He's the president and CEO of the Global Cyber Alliance, a nonprofit founded in 2015. Previously, Mr. Reitinger was appointed to serve as the Deputy Undersecretary for the National Protection and Programs Directorate and the Director of the National Cybersecurity Center in the U.S. Department of Homeland Security. Prior to that, in the private sector, he was Sony's Senior Vice President and Chief Information Security Officer from September 2011 to September 2014. We're headquartered in New York City in London, but unlike a lot of other bodies, we don't do reports and recommendations. Our focus is on actually implementing measures to reduce systemic cyber risk. So our goal is to find a problem where there appears to be a solution that's not being broadly deployed and then we bring the right coalition of people and resources and capabilities together to see if we can drive actual implementation of that solution and then measure how effective it is. So we try to solve problems one problem at a time. And so the uh, the, the fact that you're a nonprofit, uh, how does that benefit your efforts? It means that we're not out in the game to try and build a market. We're trying to get solutions out there, which lets us work with other nonprofit entities with governments and with private sector companies who may have their own interests. Um, for example, one of the things we've done is work very strongly to drive global deployment of an email authentication protocol called DMARC um, that can stop spoofed email phishing in its tracks. So there are companies that work in that space. There are a lot of entities that depend on DMARC and governments can deploy it too. And being a nonprofit, we're not in there to make a business long term. We're just in there to try and get everybody to deploy this so people can be safe from phishing. Yeah, I mean, take us through uh, the methods that you use. Are, are you actually, uh, do you have developers working in-house or are you partnering with other people? 
So we partner with about 200 different companies and government entities and nonprofits around the world. So we rely a lot on contributions from them. But again, unlike a lot of nonprofits, we do have a development shop. So um, we don't have to depend on other people to write the code for us. We've got a group of people, if a solution needs code, who can write the code. So for example, um, one of the things we did in DMARC is to try and make this email authentication mechanism easier to deploy is we built a wizard that can take you through the process of deploying not only it, but the other protocols like SPF on which it depends. So we wrote the code that does that and we're able to get that out there, make it available to everyone, and we're able to do it as the Global Cyber Alliance in an international way. So that wizard is now available in 13 different languages. And you all have a, a sort of an interesting origin story. Your original funding uh, came through a, a New York, I believe, and it was some civil forfeiture money, yes? That's right. Originally funded, our seed money, if you will, is from the Manhattan District Attorney's Office, um, which allocated to us seed funding of up to $5 million a year for up to five years from asset forfeiture funds. So money that was taken as a part of a fine is being used to help prevent cybercrime. And the reason the, the Manhattan District Attorney, along with our other two co-founders, the Center for Internet Security um, and the City of London Police, founded us is you know, all of them have become convinced that we can't sort of deter our way out of this crisis. You know, prosecutions and threats alone are not going to get people to stop hacking. We've actually got to do a much better job of preventing cybercrime. And so um, the DA, who is the principal funder, Cyrus Vance Jr., the Manhattan District Attorney's Office, wanted to invest some of the money from proceeds of crime into trying to prevent crime. And your focus uh, since your startup, or one of your focuses, has been phishing. Um, you know, it strikes me with phishing being such a, um, well, there's such a human factor in phishing, the ability to fool people into clicking onto things that they shouldn't click on. Um, what's your approach to trying to uh, tackle the phishing issue? Phishing obviously takes a, m a number of different approaches. The way we think about issues is you know, training, I think, is important for people, but you're never going to train your way out of the phishing crisis. You know, about well over 90% of intrusions start with a phishing attack. And phishers have gotten so good, and I'm sure you've seen this, they can produce phishing emails that fool the strongest experts. Hmm. So, our approach is on any project to try and build protections into the ecosystem, if you will, so that you get security with connectivity, that you don't have to do anything extra special. You can just enable something and then go forward. So what DMARC does is DMARC is a sort of a technical means that if your webmail provider or your email provider has deployed it, and chances are very, very good that it has – and a, the company sending you the email has deployed it, then you can't get spoofed from that company anymore. So if your bank has deployed DMARC, you know, it doesn't matter whether you get a, a really good phishing email or not. If it appears, if it is, if it is stated to come from you know bank.com, the bank that you are using, and they've deployed DMARC, then you know, if they've done it the right way and your provider's done it the right way, that email will go straight to trash or be marked as spam, regardless of anything you do. 
The other thing we did is build a global with several partners, including um, Packet Clearinghouse and IBM, build a global Anycast DNS infrastructure that's now operating under the name Quad9. So if you've heard about Quad9, we were one of the builders and founders of that. That operates on the notion, for example, let's say you click on a email, a phishing a link in a phishing email that you should not have. If that takes you to a bad domain and Quad9 knows it's a bad domain and it knows a lot of things are bad domains, then you simply don't go there. You get a, a what's called an NX domain. You are not routed to the bad site. So despite that you've made a mistake, you're not taken to the phishing site or malware is not downloaded. So they're protecting the users from themselves uh, as, as an intermediary, if you will. Very much. You know, automatic protection is required. Um, and, you know, it's not because users who don't know better make mistakes. It's because everybody makes mistakes. Mm. You know, we're humans. We've actually, you know, we've gotten so much better in the physical ecosystem at building protections in. You know, it's when you buy a car in the U.S., you get seatbelts and you get um, airbags, and that's true around the world. You know, we've got to put the same sort of protections on the Internet. So people who, have, who, who are not cybersecurity professionals – can be reasonably secure, even if they're not paranoid. And right now, it really takes paranoia. So in terms of success, how do you all measure if uh, the job that you're doing is making a difference? We're continuing to work on that. Right now, we measure what we can. So for DMARC, the, the thing that we measure the most right now is how many people use our wizard to uh, deploy DMARC. And that's been about 3,000 domains that have taking a look at our wizard and then deployed DMARC at an effective level. Our calculations show that's a very effective return on investment. We're also looking at um, how broadly we're affecting the ecosystem, which is hard to cause, you know, tied directly to us, but we're a part of a coalition. So, you know, one of the things that happened recently um, that uh, we're very pleased with is the U.S. government actually required all civilian government agencies back in October to, as a part of number, a number of different things, deploy DMARC. Um, and so we're measuring how far along Homeland Security and all of the departments and agencies in the U.S. are coming towards getting to that conclusion. And they're roughly about halfway there with a week and a half to go um, to meet the first deadline. So they've got a long way to go, but they're making much better progress um, than they did before. For things like DNS, you know, we can measure um, how many things we block, um, how many calls to the service we're getting. And right now, um, Quad9, thanks to the publicity from the launch back in November and how effective the service is, is not only getting rave reviews, um, its usage is taking off around the world. So uh, in terms of partnering with people, uh, who are you looking to reach out to and what's the best way for them to get in touch with you? We're looking to partner with entities that really want to put some effort into working on cybersecurity and solving real issues. So, you know, we're not a talk shop. We've, we've done an event or two, but you know, that's not what our core business is. Our core business is actually implementing these things that solve problems. We are happy to have people come and join as a partner. We're actually not a pay-to-play organization, so we accept partners regardless of ability to pay as long as they want to invest resources, whether it's expertise or help with publicity, into the effort. Um, we do ask people, entities that want to join, to put some effort in. Um, and, of course, we'd love to have contributions. Anyone who can make a real difference 
um, and wants to work on these issues and solve problems is welcome to join. To get more information, you can visit our website, which is www.globalcyberalliance.org. Um, and you can get more information by sending an email to info at globalcyberalliance.org. That's Phil Reitinger from the Global Cyber Alliance. And that's the CyberWire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for CyberWire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. The CyberWire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI.